0: Part 6 of Herein is Love by Rule Howe This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Herein is Love A Study of the Biblical Doctrine of Love in Its Bearing on Personality. Parenthood, Teaching, and All Other Human Relationships, by Rule L. Howe, Part 6, The Language of Words and Life. Unfortunately, however, we often use the words that suggest the right meaning, but fail to carry out that meaning in our lives. All too easily our religious statements become empty forms, separated from the vitality and meaning which they are supposed to express. Remember, for instance, how vainly we sometimes say the Lord's Prayer, which is a form that our Lord gave us, by means of which we could express the vitality of our relationship with God and one another. Likewise, we can honor and use the correct verbal and other symbols about the church and Christian fellowship, its rites and ceremonies, and yet fail to translate them into action, with the result that our rites and ceremonies and doctrinal statements become dry, empty forms. Instead of being the means of new life, they may only disappoint people because they do not really communicate the meaning that they seem to promise. Every church should always test whether its forms are really expressive of the truth which it professes. It is not enough that we speak the truth. We must live it. It has been given to men to communicate both by word and by the life that is lived. There must always be a vital relation between the meaning that is being communicated in the word and the form or means of its communication. The breakdown of education and of religion occurs when there is a breakdown between the human experience with its meaning and the word which represents it. This breakdown is complete when speaking the word becomes a substitute for living its meaning. This breakdown also occurs when a culture undertakes to educate by means of words and concepts only, and neglects to employ what happens between man and man as an integral and indispensable part of the curriculum. The word and the meaning of the experience belong to each other and need each other and the relation between them is a necessary part of education. Let us use the word fight as an illustration. We have this word because of man's experience in fighting. Out of the relationships of conflict and combat comes the experience we think of as fighting and the word fight stands for it. The very young child learns to fight before he learns the word fight. So far as he knows, the experience of fighting exists only between himself and his mother, and it is necessary for him to discover that fighting is a universal human activity. He learns the meaning of the word fight by the meanings that he brings out of his own combat— and on the basis of these he begins to understand the universal meaning of fight the word thus unites his little individual experience with the experience of the human race of which he is a part therefore the word becomes an effective instrument in teaching him the meaning of his experience in the context of the experience of his own kind Similarly because of his relationship to his mother, the child may experience her trustworthiness long before he knows the word trust, but he needs a word for this experience. Then, as he begins to acquire the ability to convey these meanings with words, he learns the word trust and immediately the door opens so that his experience becomes related to the much larger experience of the people that have lived before him. If a child is being brought up in the Christian fellowship, the minute he begins to have a word to describe the trustworthiness of his relationship with his mother, he also begins to understand the meaning of trust as Christians have experienced it in relation to god on the other hand it is difficult to convey the meaning of christ's death to a child here the words are crucial to the understanding of the meaning but he cannot bring out of his own life sufficient experiences to make the meaning of the concept available to him but it is important to introduce him to these concepts by means of words against the time when the words will carry meaning as we live with our children we help them interpret the meaning of their experiences Some day they will be able to move from the little meanings that they have accumulated about life and death to the great meanings of the life and death and resurrection of christ by means of the little word cross and other associated words. Education requires the use of both the language of words and the language of relationships. We teach children the words of our faith, but at the same time we try to live with them in ways that will provide the meanings that will prepare them for understanding the meanings of the faith. And this is what I mean when I suggest that what happens between us is an indispensable part of the curriculum the curriculum of relationship this emphasis upon the relationship between parent and child between teacher and pupil between person and person as a part of the learning situation seems to put a heavy burden upon the teacher after all, it was difficult enough when the teacher had to be responsible for the correct words for the transmission of the truth and for the understandings that must go with them. Now, in addition, we have to pay attention to what is going on between teacher and pupil. The work of teaching is much bigger than mere verbal transmission, and nothing less is worthy of being called Christian teaching this kind of teaching requires that the truth being taught be incarnate in the relationship between men which was what God did in Christ the teaching of Christ is contained not only in his words but also in his life his life gave meaning to his words and made them uniquely different from any other words that had ever been spoken. Actually, many of the things that our Lord taught were not new, but his life was, and this made his teaching unique. The same principle must apply to us. Some instruction given in the name of Christian education is dull, monotonous, and irrelevant. There is nothing untrue about it, but it is taught without the conviction born of experience, and it is not expressed in what goes on between man and man. On the other hand, a recognition of the responsibilities of this kind of teaching should be coupled with the joys and satisfactions of it. It is a kind of teaching that can relieve us of some of the anxieties of accomplishment a word of encouragement many parents and teachers are concerned about the quality of the care and teaching which they give children and they are particularly worried about their failures and sins in relation to them present in many of us is the fear that we may have permanently impaired the future welfare Of those for whom we are responsible this leads us to try to be perfect in the discharge of our duties and thus prevent serious injury to our children in other words we would like to love them perfectly which if we were able to do would ill prepare them for their life in this world furthermore and more importantly implicit in this anxiety is a grave misconception of what it means to be a Christian. The test of our love and faith is not the absence of failure and sin and problems, but lies in what we are able to do about them. Of course, Christian parents get angry with their children and say and do things that hurt them. We are haunted by the signs in our children that we have failed them by the evidences of their anxiety by the problems they sometimes have in relation to other people by their lying and stealing by their hostility and quarrelsomeness by their excessive competitiveness and jealousy sometimes the scenes around the family table are far different from our image of what christian family life and fellowship should be we wonder where we have failed grow discouraged and fail again we are embarrassed by the contradiction that our children see between the things that we say and the things that we do parents and teachers who like mrs Strait, live by the law either have to blind themselves to what's going on in their relationships or else become profoundly discouraged. And if we are like Mr. Churchill, our decision will be to ignore human problems and to turn ourselves to a devotion of God as if that were possible. Dr. Manby would wait for time to take care of the matter, and Mr. Knowles would frantically cram more knowledge about the Bible into the minds of parents and children in the hope that, somehow or other, knowing about God and Christian teaching would produce the necessary changes. Mr. Clark, of course, would turn the whole mess over to the clergy. Implicit in the situations we have been discussing is a concept of success the assumption being that if we love God and our neighbor, everything we do will turn out all right. My grandfather always maintained that his business prospered because he kept the laws of God. When we stop to think about it, we realize what a faulty concept this is. After all, it was not easy for Christ to accomplish the purposes of love in this world and there is no reason why it should be any easier for us it is not easy to maintain the dialogue of life it is not easy to call forth the being of others it is not easy to regain the freedom of love even when we respond to the spirit of love we recognize the credibility and promise of all these principles but wonder at the difficulty of their application. THE WORK OF LOVE We need to remember that even God, with all his power and wisdom, does not give his love to us in ways that take away our freedom of response. He leaves us free to say, yes or no to him, to love, to our families, and to all the responsibilities of life. This means, as we saw earlier, that we are to speak the word of love and leave the other person free to make his response. We cannot expect a guaranteed response from him. We cannot prevent him from making a wrong response any more than we can make him give the right response. Our children are free, and we must respect that freedom. This is why the achievement of a love relationship is so exceedingly difficult. In the achievement of any relationship, we are involved in a life and death struggle our children for instance want our love care and protection at the same time they want to be their own selves and to assume responsibility for their own lives they can and do resent with devastating hostility action on our part that looks to them like interference in their lives on the other hand We love them and feel that we cannot do enough for them. The effect of our zeal often is to overwhelm them with our care and deprive them of the freedom in which to achieve their power of being. Inevitably, then, the living dialogue between the parent and the child is both a happy and a troubled one in which the powers of love and resentment are exerted on both sides the struggle between freedom and tyranny in human relations is understood in the struggle of the cross which takes place in every individual and in every relationship the actualization of ourselves in relation to one another is both difficult and painful it is hard to understand how anybody could ever think it was easy the struggle calls for a love that is prepared to lay down its life for its friends the entrance of love into life brings sometimes not peace but a sword tension and conflict may accompany the work of love the conflict between the love of god and the self-centeredness of man produces an ugly, rugged, and bloody struggle, which the crucifixion summarized. The Power of Love The good news of the gospel is not that a way has been given us by which to avoid conflict, but that the power of love has been given us for the conflict. With it we can enter into the shambles of life with assurance, courage, and a belief that, even though we cannot always understand what is going on, the purpose of love is to reunite man and man, and that in Christ God's love won the initial victory in this process. We may, therefore, participate in the life of the world with all of its conflicts including our own personal conflicts, with faith in the power of reuniting love. We should not be surprised when we find ourselves embroiled in conflict and involved in complex situations. Our faith is not in our ability to do right, but in the power of God to help us re-enter the difficult and unpleasant situations we have created with new hope, and with healing love. We may be thankful that God revealed himself through a cross and therefore made clear how realistic he is in relation to the characteristics and conditions of human existence. The power of love is liberating. It frees us so that we can use what happens between us as a part of the curriculum of Christian living and learning. Instead of wasting our time worrying about why things happen, we can use our energies and our understandings to deal with them constructively. The purpose of Christianity is not alone the prevention of crime, but the redemption of criminals. Not alone the prevention of sin, but the saving of sinners. The great Christian word is redemption, which means transforming a destructive relationship into one in which the conditions and purposes of love are realized. Let us remember that fine linen paper is made out of old, dirty rags. Similarly, a wonderful Christian relationship can be formed out of one that seems tragic as we have seen the test of a man is not in what happens to him but in what he does about what happens to him the transformation of what happens in human relations is the work of the Holy Spirit continuing the work that was begun in Christ the Spirit gives the gift of reconciling love with which we may participate in the continuing work of Christ, which is the redemption and transformation of life. So, in the context of this love, we can relax while we also exercise our care. Love and Sin The power of love over sin is widely recognized. In the first place, there is no judgment like the judgment implicit in love. The face of love is compassionate, but it gives a light that reveals the darkness of our hearts. We know that we are judged, but we know also that we are not condemned. The judgment and the forgiveness come to us as a part of the communication of love. Have we not felt this as we stood in the presence of someone whose love was true? We wish to be rid of everything in us that is unworthy of that love. In that same instant, there may have welled up within us a repentance and a determination to live in response to that purifying, reuniting, love such is our experience when the spirit of christ brings us face to face with him and his love to be loved is to be illumined purified and transformed because love has the power of re-creation parents and others who are conscious of their failures and sins in relation to their loved ones should remember that human beings are fundamentally resilient and resourceful. Children's springs of life and vitality are powerful. Their need to affirm themselves as persons is undeniable, and any experience of love that they have is reinforcing. Experiences of unlove are to them unbelievable, and point fundamentally and finally to the necessity and believability of love while our children are dependent upon us for their personal environment in which to grow up they bring powers and resources to their growing up which are independent of us they bring something to the dialogue in which self-actualization occurs Their part of the dialogue is just as important and indispensable as ours. We cannot live their lives for them. They have to live their own lives, and our part is to live in relation to them and contribute our assistance to their powers of becoming. Parents and teachers are not the only ones who influence their children. We live in a society in which different people have different roles to play in relation to everyone else. We should not measure the progress of a child only by how we see him or by what we think he is receiving from us. Our impression of the child's progress may be mistaken. We may not be able to know him as he is or know what others are contributing. And least of all, can we know the total effect of all his relationships on what he is becoming as a person. Our anxieties about a particular incident may exist because we fail to see it in its total context. Much happens in the development of a person's life that we do not see, and much of the transformation occurs secretly at levels so deep that we cannot observe it. Although we may not see what is happening, we may be sure that something is. In the sphere of the personal, we need to trust both God and man, and if we trust God, we can trust man. We then may take a long view of our task and teach and work and live by faith. This is what it should mean to be a Christian and a member of the Church of Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to belong to a fellowship that is made up of people who may be united by the Spirit of God and through whom we believe that God works. What a comfort it is to know that we do not have to do and believe everything ourselves. Not only Do we not have to live and believe and love for ourselves, but others live and believe and love for us at times when we cannot? But let us also remember that we have to live and believe and love for them when weakness or doubt or hostility seems to overwhelm them. This is the meaning of Christian fellowship. Namely, that we are not an aggregation of individuals, but instead are members of one body, with every member having its own function, and the function of every member standing in a complementary relation to that of the others, of which body Christ is the head. Here is the source of the love about which we have been speaking, and the process through which love is lived in the life of the world that God Loves. End of part six. Recording by Bill Mosley, Lano County, Texas, USA.